so awesome, so amazing that the videos and the pictures that we saw ahead of time, it just didn't do any justice to how adorable that little boy really is. And uh, if, you want, if you guys got, want to go see him afterwards today, he's down that hallway. So I would encourage you. He's an amazing little boy. And he has been such a blessing in our, our lives. And that journey started a year prior to getting him, over a year. And so God uh, stirred in, in, in the hearts of Kate and I. And we, we felt gravitated towards adopt, adoption. We had the personal desire to adopt but again, we didn't know if it was God's will, and, um, but God was stirring in our hearts definitely about that, so we just didn't know. But we, what we did know was that the more that we leaned into that idea of adopting a little boy, bringing him home, um, the more we struggled with all the what-ifs. I think you guys know what I'm talking about, all the what-ifs of a situation. So what-ifs concerning, do we have enough money? Uh, we certainly didn't have the money in our account. It was lots and lots of money to adopt, and we, we didn't have much there. And so there's all these what-ifs. Well, God, if this is what you want me to do, if you want us to adopt this little boy, uh, we certainly don't have the way to do it right now. There were what-ifs concerning his health. He was born into some unsavory conditions. Uh, he was born into a, a dirty apartment floor in, in Taiwan, Taipei City. And with the way that he was born, with the conditions that um, he was born into, there are many, many questions about his health, his physical health, his, his, uh, his uh, mental health. All those questions, they raise a lot of questions. And there are also what-ifs concerning, well, are Kate and I even equipped enough to be parents to this little boy? And keep in mind, he was one when we met him, and at that moment, at that time, we had Zoe, and she was two, and so she was like in the peak of her terrible twos at that moment, and so we're thinking, we have all these questions. We have one toddler in her terrible twos, and now we want to go over and get another toddler. Is that God's will for us? We were questioning whether we were equipped to handle, if we were the, the, the ones. And so what ifs can really choke out a dream? Faster than anything, if you allow it. And they often make us question if we really are walking in God's will, or if it's just personal ambition. But, when it comes to the things that God puts in your heart, the more you step out in faith, one step at a time, one little itty bitty step at a time, those what ifs start to lose power in your life. The more you walk towards what Jesus is doing in your life, the more you walk towards the things that he's putting in your hearts, no matter what's going on there, the more you do that, the more those what-ifs start losing the power in your life. The more steps in faith you take, clarity replaces uncertainty and confusion. And God will sustain what's lacking. And that certainly was the case in our adoption story of Charlie Dax. And this is the case in our story as Christ followers, as I want to pack for you here today. Now, the author of Hebrews compares the life of faith in Jesus to a marathon. Um, 5K is about the best I can do. But he compares it to a marathon or a race that is marked out for us. And so that little phrase right there, I've read this passage many times. I'm very familiar. And that's kind of one of those things that God spoke to me right there in that moment, that 
we all have a race marked out for us. We all have a faith journey in Christ that's unique. And it looks different than the person sitting next to you. Our, and, and these faith journeys, they're, they're filled with peril, risk, adventure, highs and lows, which God uses to transform us. God has uniquely set out a race for each and every one of us to, to run, and he's given us all a unique set of um, personality characteristics, temperaments, abilities, gifts and talents. He's given us these things to fulfill what God has in our lives. So I want to take a look at 2 Timothy. And 2 Timothy is a letter that uh, the Apostle Paul is writing to this young man, Timothy. And this young man, Timothy, was somebody that Paul came uh, across in his journeys. And he sees uh, Timothy there. And so he writes him a letter to encourage him. And this letter is filled with wisdom. But I really only want to focus on one thing this morning. Um, And I want to share with you what God has been stirring in my heart through this scripture. 2 Timothy 1, starting in verse 3. I thank God whom I serve as my ancestors did with a clear conscience. As night and day I constantly remember you in my prayers. Recalling your tears, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and then in your mother Eunice. And I'm persuaded now lives in you also. And so I want to take a step back for a moment. And, I, and I, I realized something right there, that faith, it's something that's passed down from generation to generation. And, and he notices, he said, look, your grandmother Lois had this faith. And, and she passed that faith down to your mother Eunice. And now that faith has been passed down to you. Three generations right there. That's how faith works. Guys, grand, grandparents, you guys have a powerful role in the lives of your children. Passing faith down to your grandchildren. Parents, you have a powerful role, the most powerful role in the lives of your children, passing your faith down to your kids. And Paul sees this in Timothy, and he says, I see something in you too. I see, I see that, that, faith, that faith has been passed down to you. And he writes them this, this letter of encouragement, because obviously Timothy is uh, feeling discouraged. He's a little bit rattled in life. And so the first thing I want to draw your attention to um, is in verse 6. It says, For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying of my hands. And so Paul reminds Timothy to fan into flame this gift of God. And that's what we all need to be reminded of this morning. Fan into flame the gift of God that's inside of you. What is this flame that Paul is talking about? Well, each one of us has this flame burning inside of us. Timothy did. Paul did, you and I do. And it reminds me of a pilot light. And so a pilot light in a stove is like a little tiny light that comes on. And if you want to turn your stove on, the flood, the the gas, the natural gas floods that flame and it erupts into something much bigger, much hotter, much uh, more useful. And so after you turn that knob on, it controls the intensity of the flame and how big it is. After you turn that on, then, then that fire becomes something useful. It becomes something useful. You can boil water. You can cook things with it. It becomes something useful. And we all have these little spiritual pilot lights shining in our souls because of the work of the Holy Spirit living inside of us. Paul describes them as a gift from God. And he tells Timothy, you've got to fan it. You've got to fuel it into flame. 
I, I, I've, I've never done this. Um, I watch a lot of survivor shows. And so trying to light a, a flame out of just twigs and sticks and that kind of thing is beyond me. But I think it is so cool when they do it. And it's a very gentle process. It's been a while since Kate and I have seen one. But we're always amazed. Every time they have, like, they start off from nothing, just dry tinder and twigs. I'm sure Boy Scouts, you guys do that all the time. But he's saying, it's hot. It's hot. The potential's right there. It's hot. You've got to fan it gently into a, a flame that's useful that you can use. And we all have these little spiritual pilot lights that are shining in us. Um, you can't boil a pot of water with just a pilot light on. You can't cook a steak with just a Zippo lighter. It's not going to work. Fire is of little use when it burns without much heat or intensity. And so for many of us Christians, the spiritual light was lit when we said yes the first time to Jesus, but it hasn't really grown into much of a hot, passionate flame. And for others, that that light was lit and it erupted and it was hot and zealous and passionate, but something along the way tempered it. Something tamed it. Something came along the way and just squelched it. So we're going to read on. There was something in Timothy's life that that kept that flame at bay. And so Paul describes it in verse 7. He says, For the Spirit of God does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. Gives us power, love, and self-discipline. Self-discipline is kind of like that, that knob that you turn on the stove. You don't want it to get out of control. You don't want to hurt people and injure people. The intensity is there, but it's got to be, it's got to have that self-discipline. For Timothy, fear was something that choked out his spiritual flame. And he uses the word timid, and the word timid means anything that paralyzes you from being who God created you to do or be. Anything that paralyzes you from doing what God created you to do or be. That's what timid is. God created each of you to be unique according to the gifts and talents that he has given you. And he's uniquely marked out a race or a trajectory in your life for you, for each of you to run. And so some of you are wired a certain way, but you're too afraid to be who God created you to be because maybe you're afraid of what others think. That's what it means to be timid. Allowing fear of something to drive who you are and not the love of God to determine who you are. And so for Timothy, fear was choking out what God was doing in and through him. And for some of you, this might be the case. Uh, What ifs was certainly the case for Kate and I when we were considering adoption. The what ifs choked out that flame for a season, for a while. For some of you, um, it may be a trauma. Maybe a trauma in your past has choked out that flame. Maybe something terrible happened to you. Something traumatic, something that really um, left you reeling, something that you haven't fully processed just quite yet, and because of the aftermath of it, it's kind of left you dampened a little bit. Maybe, maybe for others, you're just simply too busy. You're, just, you're, you're walking around, you're plain exhausted, you've got so many things on your calendar jam-packed, filled, and for, for, for you, it's a matter of maybe learning how to say no more often, learning how to free up your calendar. Removing things from your schedule that serve no benefit other than just exhausting you. Maybe it's shame for other people. Maybe you're allowing the shame and the guilt of the past to rob you from what God has in store for you right here, right now. 
Maybe you're thinking, there's no way God can use me. Not what I've done, not what I've been through, not what I did in the past. There's no way God can use this right here. There's no way. That's, that's just not the truth. That's a lie, by the way. That's a lie. Don't believe that at all. That, that, that forgiveness that we have, what was done on the cross through Jesus Christ, that erases all of that. God sees you as he sees Jesus. Because of your faith in Jesus, God looks at you and he sees Jesus. And so whatever that, that shame and guilt of the past was, that's gone. That's wiped clean. God wants to use you, guys. He wants to use you. Paul reminds Timothy that the Spirit doesn't paralyze us with fear or shame. It gives us power, love, and self-discipline. So if your flame has been choked out, how do you reignite this flame? You might be sitting here thinking, yeah, that's kind of me right here. Now what? Leads me to my next and final point. Fix your eyes upon Jesus. That's what the author of Hebrews said. Fix your eyes upon Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. And so when I think about this, I'm reminded of the story of Jesus and Peter in Matthew 14. And after a long day of miraculously feeding 5,000 people, Jesus needed some quiet time. He had a long day. He fed lots of people. He wanted to go up to the mountains, and he wanted to be with God. He needed to pray and recharge. And so he tells the disciples, all right, you guys go ahead without me. I'm just going to catch up to you. Jesus is up in the mountains. And there's a body of water separating them from their next destination along the way. And so he tells them, you guys get in the boat. It's fine. I'll be there. I'll catch up with you. So they get in the boat and they journey across the water. And the water starts getting a little treacherous. The wind starts picking up a little bit. Waves start getting choppy. And so Jesus has been in the mountains for, some, for uh, quite some time now. He's been there. And um, he realizes, you know what, I have to catch up with the disciples. So Jesus does, well, what Jesus does, he walks on water. He takes a stroll across the water to catch up with his disciples who are in the middle of the water on their boats. And so what do they do? They see Jesus approaching them. I mean, imagine for a moment you're sitting in a boat in the middle of Lake Georgetown or wherever, and you're sitting in a boat, and and you see someone kind of walking toward the water towards you. I'd be a little spooked out too. And so they're terrified. And they said, it's a ghost. And they cried out in fear. And so Jesus responds. He says, take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. I I don't know how he said that. Um, He could have said, guys, 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 calm down. I I know you've you've never seen anyone walk on water before. I know that's kind of a crazy thing to behold. I know. Just, it's, it's me. It's not a ghost. Calm down. It's me. So long story short, Peter, sitting in the boat, he gets this idea. He sees Jesus, and he says, you know what? That would be really, really cool if I just went out there. I mean, he's out there. It would be neat if I went out there. I want to go join him in what he's doing out there. And so it's important to, to realize this. Before Peter actually stepped out of the boat to come join Jesus and what he was doing out on the water, he, he gets permission first. And how often in life... Do we do that where we dream up of an idea and, well, we forget to pray. We forget to ask permission. God, is this really what you want me to do? He asks God. He asks Jesus. And Jesus says, yeah, come on out. Come on, join me. The water's a little choppy. It's fine. It's a little windy out here. Come on out. And so Peter gets out of the boat and he successfully takes a few steps across the water. 
He's walking across the water, and he's doing what Jesus was doing. How cool is that? You're walking on top of the water. And then what happens? Fear happens. He looks around. He takes his eyes off of Jesus, and he looks around him, and he sees the wind and the waves and the choppy water. Fear happens. The what-ifs sink into the situation, and they get the best of him. He starts to sink. He loses focus on Jesus, and he puts his focus on the scary things going on around him. And he starts to sink. Panic sets in. And one last time, he cries out. And this is like the moment where he refocuses his attention back onto Jesus. He cries out, help! And so Jesus grabs him, pulls him into safety. And then Jesus does again what Jesus does. He pulls him into the boat. They're in the boat. And all those scary things die down. The wind dies down. The choppy waves die down. Everything dies down. Because that's what Jesus does. He has authority over the scary things in our lives. He has authority over those things that just seem to paralyze us at times. He has authority over the weather. He is author of it all. They all obey him. The waves calm down. And so Jesus brings Peter into the boat. And this was a teachable moment for Peter and for the disciples and for you and I. Fix your eyes upon Jesus. Fix your eyes upon Jesus. I want you guys to repeat that after me. Fix your eyes upon Jesus. Say that with me. If your flame is being choked out, here's the answer. Fix your eyes upon Jesus. If you're too entangled or distracted by the worries of life, fix your eyes on Jesus. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Sometimes life is going to get choppy and stormy. And sometimes along the way, in our journey of faith, we're going to get a little banged up. And sometimes we get too distracted by what's happened around us, and we lose sight of what's in front of us. Jesus guiding the way. And I don't know what God is calling you guys to do this morning. I know God is stirring inside of each and every one of you, and God is calling you to do something. He's calling you to, and God, and Jesus, Jesus never calls you to do little tiny things that you can do in your own strength. Usually the things that Jesus calls you to do are colossal things that are unimaginable where you need him because you can't do it by yourself. And so maybe God's calling you to do, to do something colossal like forgive someone. Maybe, maybe someone has done something to you in the past and maybe Jesus has put someone on your heart, on your mind. You need to forgive that person. And you've been trying so, so hard in your own strength to forgive that person and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to forgive him today. How does that usually go? The thing is, is for things like forgiveness, they can't be done in your own strength. You, you need Jesus to forgive people through you. Fix your eyes on Jesus, if that's the case. Maybe you're living in fear because every time you turn on the news or look at Facebook, you're reminded of how terrible shape our country is in. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Maybe God's calling you to do something big, huge, unimaginable in your life. Maybe God is calling you to long-term mission work. Maybe God has put some ministry or desire in your heart that you've never even dreamed of before. Like you, you don't, you've never even seen this done before. So you have no, you have nothing to look at as a reminder or a model. Maybe Jesus has put some kind of ministry in your heart, and you just have nowhere to begin. You have this desire, and you're wrestling. Is this God's will? 
Is this my will? I have this desire tugging at me. You have no idea where to begin. Fix your eyes upon Jesus. Step out of the boat. Take one step at a time. Keep your eyes on Jesus. When we do this, his power is ignited inside of us, and his power is lived through us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are such a good God. It is such a blessing to be used by you, but it's even more of a blessing to be in your presence. God, you are doing big, crazy, unimaginable things around us all the time. 